Welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining me again today. Today we are on the eve of Thanksgiving here in the United States of America, and I know we have a lot of listeners from across the world, which is really nice, from Canada all the way to Australia and South Africa, not to mention UK. So uh, we're all in this together, folks, that's for sure. And, well, being on the verge, as we say, of a major federal national holiday here in the United States, it's really a good time to pause and take a look at what is the real story of Thanksgiving. I hope this will interest you across the world because it uh, it tells a lot about the European heritage, which of course became then the American culture and uh, mixed, of course, with African. It's an interesting heritage, to say the least, on certain levels. And it has been really just fecund with potential, although a lot of that potential has been realized in ways that are truly, truly disturbing the more we look at it. Since we have listeners from the UK and Africa, it's kind of interesting because the story, of course, involves uh, both of those countries as well as the New World. And we are the new kids on the block, so to speak. And yet, uh, that is for the colonists that came over. The country itself is a country like others. It's a land mass that is inhabited by its indigenous people. Europe could be understood as inhabited by its indigenous people as well. Uh, So it's not a question of where or of race or creed or anything of that sort. Indigenous means to be from that land, grown, homegrown, as it were, in that land. So from that point of view, the uh, American story of Thanksgiving, which has been wholly miscommunicated, probably deliberately, Um, is a good thing for everyone to know because it is indicative of the stories and the narrative that's being told right now up through today, this minute in the United States uh, on different political levels. These stories just don't have a great, great intimacy with the truth. And we see that this has been a tendency for a long, long time time. And I think that there is value in us being apprised of that, even when it comes around to a holiday that is cherished for the virtue of experiencing and expressing thanks and gratitude. But when you find out, because I'm going to share it with you, what the story is really, it's going to probably make you want to weep more than express gratitude. Oh, believe me, 
I feel torn about it. I feel torn. But such is the nature of truth. When we look at the stories we are told, distinct, I should say, contradistinct, from the truth that has happened, i.e., let's just say, the facts of history, free of interpretation. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Well, it's it's a sad story about humanity. And while I like to remind everyone, we have extraordinary potential. Mind over matter is a proven phenomenon. And if our mind is healthy and our mind is willing and with good intent, miracles happen and can happen all the way across the planet. But if we give in to our lower self, our brainstem, reptilian self. We have trouble in River City, my friends, and the world is a living testament to that trouble. We see it everywhere. Think of the number of wars that are stealing across this world at any given time over the last 200 years. It's just everywhere. It's just everywhere. And we just cannot allow this to continue, which is why we have shows such as A Better World, which is why I interviewed a lovely man from the Austrian Alps today, um, whose name is Oswald Mühlmann, who is a healer and a clairvoyant and an intuitive and so are his parents, and so were his grandparents. Going back generations in the high mountains of Austria near Germany. And people like that come and bring a beautiful essence to the ground floor, <laughs> to the ground level, and remind us of what power we really have, what potential we really have in a world where our potential seems to be used primarily for acquisition of things and political economic gain, power. And when we turn the clock back, and this is where the tears begin to get shed, we see the same thing. We see the same phenomenon go back 50 years, 100 years, 150 years, 200 years, 250 years, 300 years, 3,000 years. And maybe the ratios of violence and bloodshed and war shift a little bit from year to year or era to era or cycle to cycle. That, I think, could be documented. The problem remains that the floor, that reptilian floor, has remained intact. And one would really be hard-pressed to, to say that there has been an overall upgrading of humanity throughout. Now, I know the case has been made. In fact, there's one gentleman from a professor at MIT and I have to get hold of the name of his book again, 
which makes the the clear case from his point of view that uh, bloodshed or war and violence have seriously decreased over the course of decades and centuries. And it's true. I do need to read the book, and then I do need to interview him, and I will. Hereby declare that I will. But my view at this point in time is that conflict and war continues as well as slavery. It's just become subtleized. What? What does that mean? It's taken diverse, digressed conditions, which means that it's not like hanging one on one's own batard. It's not at, you know, rifle range, gunshot to the head, necessarily. It's through subtler means, such as the poisoning of the food supply, which has clearly been done by multi-level, multi-level, multinational corporations that use all sorts of dyes and drugs and chemicals and antibiotics and bovine growth hormone and treatment of the soil and uh, the poor, poor feeding of animals that are then slaughtered under the worst of conditions. All of this is a way of polluting our bodies. It's just a way of polluting our bodies, which is not good, and it leads to illness, sickness, disease, and death. Is that a form of murder? When we know the effects of arsenic, and we know the effects of Roundup, and we know the effects of toxins, and we know the effects of antibiotics on the microbiome, hello, this is murder by another name. Ooh, ow, say it. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, why is that any less murderous? Or what we do to the air using fossil fuels and just and just emitting carbon monoxide and other horrible toxic asthma inducing respiratory illness creating types of conditions and we do it every day all over the world that's right or billowing Um, smokestacks in cities, in rural areas, or the pollution that occurs to our water from fracking or any other industrial chemical process. This has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. So when someone tells me that violence has reduced, I guess I'm currently making the statement that I actually think it's increased. Change nature. That's what I think we're dealing with. What an unuplifting conversation on the day before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve. Like, what 
the heck has happened to Mitchell Rabin? Well, that's a good question. But I guess it has to do with a hankering for the truth. And on one hand, I hanker for the truth because we all need to know what's really going on. So we know the floor of our consciousness so we can raise it, uplift it, inspire it to go far, far, far beyond because in fact, there are so many good things going on. There are so many excellent people who are doing so much to uplift the spirit of humanity. It's awesome. And I thrive on that. Just last week, for instance, we had the Pachamama Alliance luncheon here at Chelsea Piers in the Big Apple in New York City. And oh my God, we had the one of the main leaders of the Achuar Indian tribe from Ecuador, from Amazonian Ecuador, who was here. And he was speaking and thanking us. Talk about Thanksgiving. Thanking us for our participation, our financial support, our spiritual support to the plight the Amazon is currently facing in the most biodiverse area of the entire planet, which is the Amazonian Ecuadorian region where the Achuar and other tribes live. And what we're doing to keep the oil companies at bay, so to speak, away, away, please, and letting the people live and let live is a very powerful effect the Pachamama Alliance has had in that part of the world. And it's had an effect all over in some hundred countries in, I don't know, could be 16 languages or more that into which it's been translated, the teaching of what is called Awakening the Dreamer or the Game Changer Intensive, both of which I am a facilitator of because I feel so strongly about the work they're doing. And uh, if any of you don't know it, just go to our website, www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv, and just scroll down a bit, and you will see an Achuar Indian photograph and uh, a link where you can go further in inquiring or bringing some action of the Pachamama Alliance to your neighborhood. They are literally all over the world at this point. And uh, if you are interested in any kind of sponsorship uh, or anything of that sort, let's talk, okay? Let's talk. It's very serious business. So, uh, again, on the eve of Thanksgiving, because it always seems that the um, uh, American story is a story that goes everywhere, just like the President of the United States is in some peculiar way, and I'd say unfortunate way, President of the world. And it's not altogether true, believe me, I know that, but in some ways positive and rather insidious, it is true, because the effect of the United States on policy everywhere is truly measurable. And um, that's why we here must be extra conscientious so that the influence and the effects that 
we as Americans and our government and our military have everywhere else needs to be properly uh, calibrated and adjusted for. Do know, and I think you do, that so many Americans are at tremendous odds with what its government does and has done over the course of centuries, literally centuries. But most importantly are the last hundred or so years, the last century, from the Industrial Age and prior to that, what am I talking about? You know, the massacre of Native peoples here on Turtle Island, and that's really where I'm going to be picking up with, uh, picking up in a minute to read a story to you. Um, And on and on, we have just a very, very disturbing history. And so many Americans came from originally, I should say, from England, from Ireland, from Holland, from Germany, from France, from Spain, from Portugal, some from Italy, later from Eastern Europe and Russia, like my ancestors for the most part. And, well, the behavior of the Brits, which I have been speaking of for decades, is just unconscionable to me. It is unconscionable. Sorry, England, but you know exactly what I mean, and it's enough to make you cry. There's probably never been an empire, historically speaking, larger than Great Britain that went in and conquered, dominated the great subcontinent of Mother India, It did the same thing in China for a spell by opiating, by creating addiction among the masses to opium. What a civil action. Actually, it's a criminal action. And this is what the Brits did to control trade and governments. It did the same thing in the Middle East. Turkey. What we have today is Israel, to some extent Egypt, certainly all over Africa, the Dutch, the French, along with the Brits, Spanish. This is just business as usual, and it's enough to make you cry. So tell me, please tell me, what is civil? What is evolved? about taking your vast wealth, arming men, and sending them across the world to dominate and kill off other men, women, and children for your queen? Really? Is that what a queen or king would want, truly, in order to dominate trade, to have slaves? I don't see anything civil about it. I think that everyone who has engaged in any practice of this sort, and they are everywhere, horribly, horribly ashamed and embarrassed. And those emotions are very useful 
for changing behavior. It doesn't dictate behavior change. And it's not the way I'd prefer to establish and initiate behavior change. Except there are those times when the harrowing feeling of having done something wrong leads to the appropriate humility and contrition and God willing apology which creates the space then for forgiveness and mercy. But human beings are a real rough lot among the species that God, the creator, the universe has created. The species that have been established on this precious, precious earth in our ecosystem, our highly evolved ecosystem, there's something that just went kaflooey when it came to Homo sapiens, something went kaflooey. I just don't think there are other species, mammals or otherwise, that kill for sport or out of fear of not being able to control a territory en masse. You know, of course, you'll have the alpha male in different groups, of course. We know that. Lions and tigers and bears and you name it, monkeys. Yes. And there is a level on which that does occur. I'm not naive. But on the level of Homo sapiens, oh my God, I mean, it's just way, way over the top. So, all right, all right. Twist my arm, I'll tell the story. Written by, and I want to give full credit to, a woman named Susan Bates, and you can find this also on YouTube. And this is called The Real Story of Thanksgiving. And it's, it's, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. So let me go through my archives here and get there. Okay. The Real Story of Thanksgiving by Susan Bates. Most of us associate the holiday with happy pilgrims and Indians sitting down to a big feast. And that did happen about once. The story began in 1614, when a band of English explorers sailed home to England with a ship full of Patuxet Indians bound for slavery. That is, back in old England. They left behind smallpox, which virtually wiped out those who had escaped. By the time the pilgrims arrived in Massachusetts Bay, they found only one living Patuxet Indian left, a man named Squanto, who had survived slavery in England and knew their language. He taught them to grow corn and to fish and negotiated a peace treaty between the pilgrims and the Wampanoag nation. At the end of their first year, the pilgrims held a great feast honoring Squanto and the Wampanoags. But as word spread in England about the paradise to be found in the New World, religious zealots called Puritans began arriving by the boatload. Finding no fences around the land, they considered it to be the public domain. Joined by other British settlers, they seized land, capturing strong young natives for slaves and killing the rest. But the Pequot nation had not agreed to the peace treaty Squanto had negotiated, and they fought back. 
The Pequot War was one of the bloodiest Indian wars ever fought. This is personally very troubling to me because I grew up in Connecticut, right where these battles were being fought. And I continue. In 1637, near present-day Groton, Connecticut, over 700 men, women, and children of the Pequot tribe had gathered for their annual Green Corn Festival, which is our Thanksgiving celebration. In the pre-dawn hours, the sleeping Indians were surrounded by English and Dutch mercenaries who ordered these native peoples, tribe members, to come outside. Those who came out were shot or clubbed to death, while the terrified women and children who huddled inside the longhouse were burned alive. The next day, the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony declared, quote, a day of thanksgiving because 700 unarmed men, women, and children had been murdered. Cheered by their victory, the brave colonists and their Indian allies attacked village after village. Women and children over 14 were sold into slavery while the rest were murdered. Boats loaded with as many as 500 slaves regularly left the ports of New England, bound, that is, back to Europe. Bounties were paid for Indian scalps to encourage as many deaths as possible. Following an especially successful raid against the Pequot in what is now Stamford, Connecticut, the churches announced the second day of Thanksgiving to celebrate victory over the heathen savages. During the feasting, the hacked-off heads of natives were kicked through the streets like soccer balls. Even the friendly Wampanoag did not escape the madness. Their chief was beheaded and his head impaled on a pole in Plymouth, Massachusetts, where it remained on display for 24 years. The killings became more and more frenzied, with days of Thanksgiving feasts being held after each successful massacre. George Washington, our first president and general in the Revolutionary War, finally suggested that only one day of Thanksgiving per year be set aside instead of celebrating each and every massacre. Later, Abraham Lincoln decreed Thanksgiving to be a national legal holiday during the Civil War. It happens that on the same day, he ordered troops to march against the starving Sioux in Minnesota. The Sioux Indians, as we say. This story doesn't have quite the same fuzzy feelings associated with it as the one where the Indians and pilgrims are all sitting down together at the big feast. But we need to learn our true history so it won't ever be repeated. Next Thanksgiving, tomorrow, when you gather with your loved ones to thank God for all your blessings, think about those people who only wanted to live their lives and raise their families. They also took time out to say thank you to Creator for all their blessings. God. Difficult, my friends, is what we are reckoning with. This is the humanity that has emerged over the course of time. 
And my words are, does it need to be this way? And my words then are, no, yet, nein, no. Ochi, yes, that's Greek. Why do we persist in violence, domination, greed, envy, and murder? Why do we continue to live primarily out of our reptilian selves, our reptilian nature, and actually use our more developed brain material and mind in service of the reptilian brain. It doesn't make sense. Strategizing, for instance, is a cerebral cortical function, but we're using it in service to our lower chakras, our lower selves. Why? Why that way? Why can we not ride the storm of our tendencies that are survival tendencies to amass, to aggregate, to acquire. Okay, we have these tendencies. They're built in. I got it. I got it. Through such refined, sophisticated, advanced means at our disposal of meditation, of contemplation, of self-reflection, of Taiji Chuan, of yoga, of Qigong. All of these are ways for us to slow down and step into the non-reactive space. So like on a movie screen, we can watch our tendencies show up and die down. They appear and they dissolve just what happens it's all energy man you know it's all energy it comes and it goes and that's the way to think allowance patience virtue allow it to come allow it to go I want to kill that bastard (laughs) we've all said it we've all thought it but we don't mean it We don't really want to take our hands and kill somebody. Oh, we may feel it. And so here, my friends, we enter the realms of psychology and coaching and counseling and, honestly, psychotherapy. We take a look at our tendencies, our reactivity. Yes, it is there. Our survival brain is intact and thriving, and it prompts these types of survival-based instinctive reactions. However, and thank God there is a however, we have developed higher-level brain functioning and mental functioning and emotional functioning, which allows us to Stay quiet, stay still, while the inner volcano is erupting. It's not easy. Don't get me wrong. I didn't say it was easy. It's not easy most of the time. 
is it doable? And the answer is an emphatic yes. Whether you are male, whether you are female, whether you are feeling hormonal, whether or not, whether you are moody, whether you are distracted, whether you are hungry, even hungry, one can control and pace and relax and allow. These are the magical words. If you need to listen to this recording again, go ahead. But memorize these. Relaxing, pacing, letting go, being patient, being virtuous, rising to our higher selves, allowing. These are all the principles of virtue to be found everywhere. So why didn't the higher society Brits and Dutch and Italians and Spanish and Portuguese in the kingdoms, the royalty, why didn't they utilize these God-given functions and features of human biology? They are inbuilt. They really are. They are inherent. They are intrinsic. So, doggone it, Use them, (laughs) right? Use them. Make love, not war, as we have said back in the 60s and the 70s. Make love, not war. Why not? Isn't that much more fun? So, coming up to date, we see that wherever we look, we see trouble in River City. You know, That's from an old Broadway musical, by the way, by the name of The Music Man, which I saw at the tender age, I saw, I saw at the tender age of four or five, oh my God, my parents sent me there alone, when they went, they saw it already, they went and saw someone else, (laughs) so life is in the Big Apple, you know, we learn and do all sorts of things, like even go to Broadway alone. Thankfully, they came and got me after the show. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Anyway, I want to just come full circle here. Because wherever we look, we see collapse. We really do. We see our institutions collapsing and colliding. We see presidents of countries are making buffoons of themselves and the countries they represent. But in each case, whether it's the United States or Zimbabwe or the Philippines, for that matter, we see, I mean, how do we say it's almost clownish that these leaders think they have so much power. And they don't. And the power that they wield is through the almighty gun. I mean, how intelligent is that? Hi, I'm President so-and-so. And if you don't agree with me, I'll just blow your brains out. That's all. You're using drugs? Try this bullet in your head. Oh, you're challenging my position? Take that. I mean, this is brutal. This is no different than our most ancient of ancestors. Maybe it's worse. Where's the growth, man? Where's the personal evolution and development? Technology and science 
are wonderful gifts that have arisen through intellectual and creative rigor. I love it. But that's not a measure in itself at all of emotional intelligence, or dare I call it spiritual intelligence. It's just not a measure. It's a measure of intellectual intelligence and breakthroughs in understanding mathematically, physically, biologically, chemically, electronically, digitally now. Yeah, fantastic. It's got such merit when modulated. Yep, here's the however. When modulated by emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. And we have seen a world develop that is a runaway world that is not respecting and honoring emotional maturity and intelligence. So we have surveillance gone wild. We have technology gone wild. We have televisions that look right back at us. We have computers that look back at us. (laughs) What's that about? You know, this has become madness. And it's all predicated on fear. So, what do we do? Sure, we have to challenge. We have a net neutrality issue that's going to be showing up in the United States in very short order. Tomorrow, is it tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, isn't that funny? On Thanksgiving Day, the Federal Trade Commission is, uh, I'm sorry, the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission is going to be proposing an utterly outlandish, greed-based, corporatocracy-based proposal that puts an end to what we call net neutrality where all websites can be accessed at the same speed as every other website. The only difference in loading time would be the size of the site, its sheer volume, magnitude, or the speed of your own download or upload speed per your computer and service provider and what you do pay for service. So. There are certain parameters where it's not completely unreasonable, where there is some gradation. But to make this a permanent feature of the way the Internet itself is managed takes that to a whole other unspeakable level. And if you don't know anything about it, Google, ay, 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 Firefox, <laughs> um, Net neutrality. And you'll see what I mean. This is one of the many, many issues we are facing where our democracies are in jeopardy. George Orwell was correct. It is dangerous. I think that we were celebrating uh, an Orwellian week this week, I heard, um, and his... uh, beautiful work of Animal Farm and uh, 1984, of course. Both have rung altogether too true, and it's deeply disturbing that they have been used, especially 1984, as a, as a guide.
guide and training manual, if not an actual blueprint, for how to design society from the point of view of government. It's horrendous. But if we keep allowing our weaker side, our reptilian nature, to dominate, we don't want to get rid of it. It keeps us alive. God bless it. We just don't want it to be in the driver's seat. We want our cerebral cortex, our prefrontal lobes, and go further, our heart to be in the driver's seat, in coordination with our mind. As Mr. George Ivanovich Gurdjieff used to say, we are a triune-brained being. And we need to coordinate our minds with our hearts, with our bodies. Or as the Buddhists would say, body, speech, and mind. So, that's what I propose. We can get out of this mess, and we can get out alive, and we can hold each other's hands as we're emerging. Yes, we can, with everyone across the planet. It's really true. We have some very confused people who happen to have a lot of power, but why do they have power? Because we've given it to them. I mean, go figure. Does that make sense? So the more we uh, atomize, the more we build our own local communities, our pods, if you will, and we're connected through the Internet, we're connected through technology, don't worry, we can really survive this and then thrive beyond as these institutions are in collapse, as they are dissolving, because they are dissolving. And they are either dissolving or they are transforming because they need to. Because so many are out of integrity. And what is it? Uh, it's uh, Pluto in Capricorn, as I recall my old friend Monty Taylor, the Jungian astrologer, telling me that combination of Pluto and Capricorn destroys that which does not stand in integrity. And so much is not in governments, in corporations, in religious sects across the void, and they are in collapse. It's a Phoenix issue. It's a Phoenix-style cycle, and we will come back with greater integrity, with greater heart, with greater conscience, and we'll change this thing around. It isn't quick, even though the destruction can be. The rebuilding tends to be a little slower, but it is taking place. And the more we affirm this, and the more we act toward this, the better things will be. Because we know that what Buckminster Fuller said, basically, if you build the new model rather than simply arguing with the old one, they will come. As the wonderful film, the film Field of Dreams, makes clear, they will come. You build the new. It's part of the way our neural network works. It doesn't really build from negativity. It builds from an affirmative position. When we say we are going to 
do something and we start to imagine it, magic happens. We start to affirmatively, constructively, creatively create. And then what doesn't belong starts to fall away. That way we are using our mind, our hearts, and our body in unison as a unified field. So, I think I've made my points. I want to say one other thing, that our own health is of immense, immense importance. And we need to continue to build our health. And we have ways here at A Better World to do that. So, uh, I want to engage you all coming to my website, abetterworld.tv, and participating in that which we have available for your health. Best to write to me at mjr at abetterworld.net, and I will fill you in on what we've got. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and I look forward to seeing you all.